anytime my kids start to complain, I'm always like, yeah, but you didn't have cancer, so. Welcome to life with multiple babies. We are multiple. We are. Welcome to We Are Multiple, the podcast. Mommy's podcast is We Are Multiple. We are multiple. This is something you will not want to miss. Hope you enjoy the story. What I was thinking about is I know a lot about triathlon in the early 2000s because I'm working in that world, right? And But I thought there are going to be a lot of people who have no idea about Xterra, who have no idea about just God, Agatha. Sorry, Lord. Just, um, <laughs> hi. Uh, let's go. So I want you to give some of your backstory. I want to give like, I want you to tell us what was leading up to mm, like the couple years before your cancer diagnosis. If you could do that in a condensed way, because I'm assuming most of our listeners are not, triathlon aficionados, <laughs> you know? And so who were you then? Go. Like you were racing. Who a was I then? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> what? Go ahead. Start. Go ahead. So, sorry. There's like, a okay. So in the early, in the early 2000s, I raced this thing called um, Xterra triathlons which are off-road triathlons you swim you mountain bike and you trail run and I was one of the top athletes I think my record was like 37 and I held that three years past my departure of Xterra but um you know I just traveled around raced all over the world in these Mm -hmm. off-road triathlons and made money doing it (laughs) yeah well that's what I was trying to tell Agatha I said if anyone talked about Xterra (laughs) they talked about you they talked about Melanie McQuaid, um, Candy Angle would come up, and then it was like yep. Conrad Stoltz, um, like Olivier, what was his name? Marcio yep. Olivier. Yeah. It so, yep. Nico Lebrun. Um, yeah. But there was yeah, a small community. Yeah, it was a very small community, and I think, like, if you know Iron Man, you know Mark Allen and Dave Scott had this huge rivalry, and that's what it was like with Melanie McQuaid and myself. Yeah. Like, that was always the hit. Who's going to win? Is it Melanie or Jamie? You're either a Melanie fan or you're a Jamie fan. And yeah. it was very heated, intense racing yeah. during those days. I, mean, I remember that, and I remember, I'm like, she's Canadian, you're American, <laughs> like, da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, the drama like I remember all of that and I've, I've had to like kind of like go back and kind of put myself there and realize, you know, it was such an incredible thing to be able to watch all of y'all. It was an incredible thing to like work in that world because I swear other than like the Sherpas that are carrying the gear up Everest, triathletes and off-road triathletes have got to be some of the most impressive people when it, it comes to racing or when it comes to doing their thing, right? Like you're so strong and so capable. Um, and so then to start having physical problems, was it a one time, like did your leg all of a sudden just start hurting and you kept like training and racing with it? Or was it like immediate, I have to stop? Like what, what was that before you found out you had cancer? 
Well, that's the thing is it was very, it was very strange pain and it can't, it kept man when it first manifested, I, it was at the world championships in 2007, but I had no idea because it was just so subtle yet annoying. And then it, it was like this slow yet fast progression to where I couldn't run. I could still bike and I could swim. And by February, I couldn't even bike anymore without pain. And it was just this excruciating pain that went all the way down my sciatic nerve. And then even then I kept going to doctor after doctor. I was getting misdiagnosed after misdiagnosed. And what were and, they telling you, you had? Yeah, what were they telling Do you? Do you remember? So, oh gosh, let's see. Um, first yeah. it was uh, bursitis, then like overuses injury. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not it. Then it was um, oh, what was the next one? A ruptured disc, which I had had x-rays and everything that showed no ruptured disc. Then it was, uh, then I started going down the path of ovarian cancer. They believed I had some oh, sort of Oh, yeah. So it was this ovarian cancer doctor that first kind of cut me open and realized like, oh, no, this is way bigger um, and you need to go see a specialist. And it was it was shortly after that, because then I, I had to be ca like I had to have a cath catheter in me because I couldn't even go to the bathroom on my own anymore. Like when I say it went progressively bad fast, it went progressively bad fast to where oh, I was. Yeah. I was bedridden and I couldn't go to the bathroom on my own. Then I ended up at UCSF, which is University of San Francisco Hospital. And that's where a team of doctors discovered that it was a spindle cell sarcoma, but they still didn't know where it was growing out of until they actually cut me open. Oh, which was, so uh, it was, it was, I mean, it was just wild, but it was a lot of nerve pain. So it was, it's the most excruciating pain that a person can experience. And you can't, there's no medication for it. You like, I always tell people on a scale of one to 10, doctors always ask you like, you know, how, how painful mm -hmm. is, is mine was a 20. It was mm -hmm. so bad in the middle of the night, just screaming. Um, and I couldn't sleep. It was just this intense pain that would just ravage my body, but it was all coming from my leg. And then when they did admit me to San Francisco, they did put like an IV and started giving me all these like drugs, like Dilaudid and oxycodone, and it took it down to I want to say an eight. <laughs> so it was still bad. And I would say you have a pretty high pain tolerance. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. That was the other problem is it took a long time for me to finally like go see someone because I was like, oh, it'll get better. Yeah. Take some well, that was my question. That was my question. I was like, I have a feeling that it probably was a long time because you have such a high tolerance yeah. before you, it even started to affect you. Oh yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's nuts when I look back because when, when they finally did remove the cancer the first time they were like, Oh, you know, it's not really a fast growing cancer and it wasn't really a slow growing cancer. It was somewhere in between, but after they removed it, they didn't take all of my sciatic nerve. So some of it was left and in two and a half months, it had grown to the same grapefruit sized, um, butternut squash looking tumor. So mm -hmm. in two and a half months, so that that's nuts. They were like, Oh no, this was a very aggressive, um, fast growing cancer after all. So, that's when I had to do another surgery. But I mean, it was, it's just insane when I look back, like, why did I, why did it take so long? <laughs> and what was um, Courtney saying at the time? Like, what was, was he, what was his role in all of this? Like, was he super supportive? Was he freaking out? Was he like, what was he doing? I think so both, both my dad and my, my ex 
um, were both, they were both very supportive and, and in different ways, you know, they, they both, cause they're kind of opposites. And so Courtney was very submerged into like always wanting to know what the doctors were prescribing, what I was taking, like mm-hmm. what my hermatocrit levels and stuff were like, he was really dialed in on that kind of stuff and knowing when I needed my medication stuff. And then my dad was more of like the emotional support of, um, just being there every single day, playing cards with me or praying with me and things like that. So they both were very instrumental in me getting through that very dark time. Wow. Okay. So after you've come through cancer twice, right? <laughs> twice. Yes. Yeah. Twice. Twice. You have then decided to get back out there. And so what did that look like? Like I saw in one of your videos that you were swimming and we were as part of your recovery. Right. Um, and we've talked so much about during pregnancy, if you don't like the water, get in it anyway, Mm -hmm. because you're going to feel amazing just to have the weight off your body. Right. But I imagine for you, that would have been true a hundredfold just to feel like your abdominals while working and like your shoulders and everything that's strong still about you being able to be used, but in a way that takes weight off of the lower half of your body. But I mean, what was that process like you start? So when did you decide, okay, I'm going to get back in the water. I'm going to try to get back on a bike. So after the first surgery was when I started um, going to the pool and stuff, because it was the only thing at that time I could do. I had to learn to walk again because they had taken my side, which meant I had most of my left leg was paralyzed after that. And the doctors were like, yeah, you'll, you'll maybe ride a stationary bike. You're never going to run again. Your pro career is over. So I was, I was kind of, like two Did things. You know, I was determined to get back to that news. Were you expecting to hear that? You knew that your pro career oh, was gosh, I had no, had no clue, no clue. And even like, even for the week in the hospital, as the physical therapist was coming in to teach me how to walk again, I I couldn't feel anybody touching my foot and I, and trying to walk was like really hard. I couldn't, I mean, I almost fell out of bed the first time. Cause I was like, what do you mean? I have to, you're here to teach me how to walk. Like I I've run for over 15 years and there was this, you know, like, I, I don't know. I was very just aggro angry and um and then I realized like oh my gosh I can't feel my foot my brain can't tell my foot to move and it just flopped and every time someone touched it it was like the most bizarre thing and I still in my mind thought you know that'll come back or you know you know it's just going to take a little time and and as I started to walk more and more and progress to a walker and then a cane I I really realized like, oh no, this is, this is straight permanent. And then it was trying to figure out like what my life was going to look like and how would I ride again? And how am I going to swim? Cause even swimming is different and it's weird because in the water, that leg isn't strong enough to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it just hangs. So using a pool boy is much better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I kick with one leg. It's like you kick with one leg and you swim. So, you know, and then the second surgery took my glute muscle. So it was like, gee, you know, now you're really taking everything from that leg. Thanks. But the quad and the knee still work. But it was after that, that I then got sepsis and I almost actually died. Then, Oh yeah. This was terrible. So, so all my swimming was out the door now. Yeah, you they, put, they put this thing called 
Oh, yeah. They put this thing called a nephrostomy drain in my back. So I couldn't swim anymore. And, like, when I showered, I would have to, like, get all the water here and, like, you know, very carefully. Oh, oh, for 10 months, I lived with a nephrostomy drain until they they removed my kidney and then put it into my right pelvic area. So, so yeah, so that's. So that's when it was during that surgery after that, that I then found out I was pregnant. So I was supposed to start chemo. Like, this is the story. Like, this is the story. So when I, I got sepsis, that you, read, that I you figured out sex in between all of this. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. So I harvested eggs. I harvested eggs oh. after, like, before, before radiation because mm-hmm. they told me, like, have to do chemo the odds of you having kids are going to be like so slim and I always wanted kids so I went through the whole process then the cancer came back care of that then I got sepsis couldn't start chemo and I was so sick I see I want to say like I was probably under 98 pounds and my race weight is like 115 I was all skin and bones it was terrible pause because I told Agatha like I am not a big person like really and I was like, I am about double the size of Jamie. Like, like so picture Jamie or picture half of me. And yeah, yeah that's, I'm like, she is tiny. Yeah. Yeah, you are. You're taller than me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but still, like you're, you know, and then if you were 98 pounds, right. oh my God. Wow. <laughs> okay, go. I know. It was. It was terrible. So, so then I dealt with, let's see. So the sepsis, I then had to have like a pick line and I was just so, so sick and miserable during that time. It was terrible. Somehow I managed to get through that and I started getting healthy by 2009. And, um, so January and I had passed some cancer scans. So they, they were like, okay, you're not going to need to do chemo, but, but we had to deal with the drain that was in my back. So in June of that, year of 2009, I went in for, you know, what I hope to be my final surgery. And it was like two weeks after that, I started getting really sick again. And, and the thing with sarcomas is they spread to your lungs and they spread to your like stomach area, abdominal area. And so like the sick that I was feeling, I was freaking out. I was like, Oh my gosh, my cancer has spread. I knew it probably was infection because I didn't have a fever or anything like that, but I was nauseous. I couldn't get off the couch every day and it was just terrible. So finally, after I want to say like two weeks of being home, my, my physician's assistant go to the hospital. Now we need to make sure your kidney's okay. Like maybe something like your body somehow rejected. The one that they moved. The one that it was removed and then put back. And to make sure that's okay. Put back in. You know, I mean, I'm a walking science experiment. Wow. So, so, so we go to the ER and I got to tell you at this point, it's been like over, it's been a year and a half since I've been in and out of hospitals. I've got frequent flyer miles, like there's no tomorrow. In fact, I would go to different hospitals just because like, maybe my experience would be better. I don't know. So I found myself, I found myself at this hospital. I was there for 13 hours, okay? And I know the drill. Here's the deal. I know the drill. When you enter into an ER, you got to pee in a cup. They're going to take your blood pressure. They're going to do all this stuff. So I showed up and I was like, let me give you my pee. So I did, but then they made me sit for so long, it was bad. 
So I, I like when they finally took me, I remember being very argumentative with this guy because he's like, we need you to pee in a cup again. And I was like, dude, I just need a CT scan of my kidney to make sure it's OK. And he's like, well, we're not going to bring you in the back unless you pee in a cup. And so I'm going back and forth with this guy. Like I peed 13 hours ago. So where's my where's my urine? And so <laughs> finally I was like, fine. And so I peed in the cup and it was so so good that I did because that's when the doctor comes up to me and says, so we know what's wrong with you. And I'm looking at her like, you haven't taken blood, haven't done a CT scan. All you've taken is my, what are you possibly going to tell me? And she's, and so as I'm contemplating, can you find out if someone has cancer through their urine? Yeah. She's like pregnant. And I was like, what? How? Like, there's no way. And then it dawned on me, oh, that one time before surgery, the one, the one time, the one time. And so, so I didn't believe her. And I was like, no, you need to retest me. There's no way. So she makes me, I have to wait an hour. I pee in a cup again. And she comes back and is like, no, you're still pregnant. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I explained to her. The only way I could be pregnant was like right before surgery. So I've been through surgery. I've had x-rays and I've been on drugs. And then, so then they, they're like worried, right? They're worried that like it might not be a viable pregnancy or whatever. So they send, they send me to get an ultrasound and they wouldn't let anybody come with me. They made me go by myself. I'm already freaked out. Were you there with Corson and your dad? So Courtney was there and then one of our good friends, Dwayne was in town. So he was, he was in the ER too. So I get, I get wheeled back by myself and the guy's doing an ultrasound and I don't even know what I want. I don't know what I want this guy to tell me because again, I'm still trying to process the fact that I could, I could be pregnant. I mean, again, I'm probably only like a hundred pounds at this time. And he says, he's like doing the ultrasound. He's like, oh yeah, everything looks good. And by the way, you're having twins. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? Oh, yeah, I pretty much freaked out. I freaked out, freaked out. Like I was so worried to tell my cancer doctors. I was just like, oh my gosh. Like I'm still adjusting to being disabled. I have no job. I have no money at all. What am I going to do? And these aren't coming with instruction manuals. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how pregnant were you at that yeah. point how far along were you? I was eight weeks I was eight weeks along at that point because because it, it was like four weeks post-surgery and then you know you go back a month or whatever yeah. when the egg first dropped or something so technically I was eight weeks. so and you have fraternals so that means you ovulated twice right. oh how oh my gosh <laughs> I don't even know I don't even know because I had been so skinny that literally nothing was going on for like almost a whole year. I mean, like I'm battling cancer and stuff and I don't, I know it's just like, I, I always tell myself in my mind, it, it, it was God's plan. And that is why it happens because I have 16 embryos sitting on ice <laughs> waiting for me. Never even used them. That's amazing. Oh my god. Amazing. And then okay, so what was your pregnancy, pregnancy like? like? Did you gain weight? Oh. Oh. Don't say terrible. Oh. <laughs> Please don't say terrible. I, I won't say terrible. I will say rough, right? But but different rough than answer. Because like, okay, so 
Morning sickness is a joke. It's morning, noon, and night sickness. I was sick all the time during the first trimester. I couldn't do anything. I could barely eat anything. I Oh, oh so you also have to understand, like, I'm... Uh-oh, did I lose you guys? Where are you? <laughs> okay, are you back? Sorry, it might be me. My, my nope, internet nope. is weak out here. Okay. Are we good? Okay. No, I got four bars. I got four bars. Oh, we're here. We are sort of. Can you see me? You're first. Can you hear me? We're here. We can hear okay. you. Okay. Because Oh, there you are. There you are. Oh, yeah. But you're frozen. So, you're frozen, but it's okay. We can hear you. Yeah. Point. They have taken, okay. they've taken one of my one of my three sacral nerves, right? And so, and when you're pregnant, you you don't have the greatest control over your bladder. Well, I'm down a nerve on my bladder too. So anytime I would sneeze or cough, I would straight pee my pants. It was terrible. And every time I would go to the toilet, I would go to the toilet to throw up and there was, and then I would pee my pants. Like I would go through pants so much. I went nowhere the first trimester because I was just peeing and too tired and throwing up. Terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, Esther, then what happened? Like, was it better? The second, the second trimester, it did. It got way, way better. And I started swimming because I couldn't, I didn't want to risk riding a bike being disabled because I hadn't even gotten back on a bike yet. So I was like, I'll just yeah. do a swim. So I just swam every day and I had the best tan lines. Um, but then I want to say, and I was only gaining weight in my belly. I gained weight nowhere. Wow. So at 27 weeks, I was visiting my dad. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm trying to think. I had, I started having really bad cramping and it wouldn't stop. And once again, this whole high pain tolerance. I didn't know what to do because I was like, well, uh oh, are you there? Oh, there you are. I so yep. I was like, is it really bad pain or is it just a little bit bad? I don't know what to do, but I was like, we better go it didn't go away. Like it did not stop. And so my dad goes rip roaring out of his house and he's like going 80 plus miles an hour down the freeway we get pulled over and <laughs> this cop is like sir you're driving erratically um you're driving way too fast and i'm just in pain i'm like sweating and my dad's like well she's pregnant with twins and something's wrong so then he has to call an ambulance he pulls us off the side of the road calls an ambulance they put me in the ambulance, and they're like you're three centimeters dilated. We got to get you to the hospital. So at that point, I was on bed rest in the hospital for like seven and a half weeks till they were born. It was crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, in a good hospital, like a posh hospital. Was it like a decent one? A good one? It, no, it was like, it was Sutter what? Memorial, which has the best NICU unit. But, but it wasn't like the rooms were kind of in, like oh, basically okay. cancer Words, cancer wards have all the money. So I was staying in the hodgepodge of like, you know, the Ritz Carlton when I had cancer. And now I was like slumming it in the in the in the high risk maternity ward. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. That is amazing. So how many weeks were they when they were born? 34, 35? 34 and a half. I made it 34 and a half. I had to get those tribute, like those shots every day. I did, I did play the crippled card and made sure I had my own private room. Cause I was like, listen, I'm crippled and I cannot hold when I have to pee. So I'm not sharing a bathroom and I'm a germaphobe. So Nurses worked really hard to get me my own room. <laughs> Good. Oh, you've frozen again. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. What because you yeah, so leave the room, right? Or the hospital floor. Like, what was that like? You know, it was weird because I was on, when I was in the hospital for being pregnant, it was totally different. Like this time they're like, don't get up, don't move. You can only go to the bathroom and you can shower every other day. And I was lucky I didn't have to go oh in like God. a bedpan. Like, oh my like God. other <laughs> But, you know, it was just, I was freaked out. I was still freaked out from having cancer. I was afraid the cancer was going to come back. And then I, I kept thinking, like, oh, my goodness, if I have these kids, is the cancer going to come back? Like, who's going to take care of them if this happens? So, like, I don't know. Like, all, all these bad things would creep in, but then I would fight it off and always think, like, this is the blessing in all of that. Like, these two kids, when they're born, um, it's going to be amazing. And and it was weird because actually at three, 34 and a half weeks, they ended up, I ended up being induced. They tried to send me home. Oh, wait, they tried to send me home at 32 weeks. And they're like, you're fine. You've made it to the, you've made it to like the multiples, like, you know, the point to where you're safe. And I fought and was like, I'm not going home because I'm disabled. And if something goes wrong, I might not make it back to the hospital in time. I said, you're going to leave me here. So they did. Um, and then they induced me because Ryder had his head was pinching on the only working nerve in my bad leg. And it was so painful that it was causing me to contract and they couldn't see that pain. So when I got to be like five centimeters dilated, I wasn't contracting anymore. So then they had to induce me because I was still in a lot of pain and they were afraid it was going to cause distress on the kids. So, yeah. So then I was induced and they were born and Christian was breached, too. And you, you had them vaginally? Yes. The the doctor that I had, oh, I fired my regular, the OB that I had hired. I fired them at 30 weeks because they were terrible. They didn't even pay attention. They did not pay attention to any of the stuff that had just happened to me. Like the fact that my uh, kidney was now in the front, that I had been cut open three times. I had been stitched, stapled, and glued. They weren't paying attention to so I got that's so fucked. Yeah, that's crazy. That's I know. And I crazy. hired I hired the high risk doctor. Her name was Dr. Chu, and it was her practice. And they all agreed to take me on. And I loved her. And so um she had a plan and she was like, Jamie, I really don't want to cut you open again. Because mm. if they cut me open, they would have had to have done a classic um, cesarean. And then I would, if I ever had any other kids, it would, I would have to be cut open that way again. I couldn't mm. do the, yeah. so, so they measured every day. They kept measuring their head and their shoulders in the womb to make sure that I could vaginally have them, um, with Christian being bur- breach. So in your, tiny body. in your tiny body. Oh yeah. And Ryder <laughs> took a long time. 
Ryder took a long time to push out. That kid was just stuck in my pelvic area. I was like, get out. And I did do an epidural because I had nothing to prove. Okay. No. So much pain. I was like, screw that. As soon as they told me, if you don't, if you don't do an epidural and we end up having to give you a cesarean for Christian, you'll get a spinal tap. And that's all I had to hear. And I was like, I will take the epidural. So, so I did. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, it gets better. Christian's arm <laughs> Christian's arm was stuck like this. So <gasps> he he couldn't come out. And all of a sudden I hear the doctor say, Stop pushing. Stop pushing. And then she had to jam her hand up in there and pull his arm down. Oh and, then, my gosh. and then proceed to pull him out. And and she they kept asking, Do you want to see what's going on? I'm like, oh no. Nope. Don't tell me what's going on. I don't want to see it. Just get him out. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. And then how long did you stay in the hospital after they were born? I was in there for maybe two days and they were there for two weeks. Oh, that's um, because, not at all. Yeah, yeah. They were struggling. So Ro Christian couldn't move his arm at all. His arm had gotten damaged and I was afraid he was going to be paralyzed like me with this thing, like a brachial plexus had been just damaged. Um, so I wouldn't let anyone touch him. And you had to wrap his arm in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, problem was they, they couldn't they couldn't take food on their own. They needed the, um, the feeding tube in their nose. So they had to be there until they could gain, they could keep on enough weight and then bottle feed on their own, which took, took two weeks. But I was at the hospital like every single day, just pumping, putting it in their little bottle, feeding tube thingy. And then just, I don't remember much, but I remember being there all except when I was sleeping. <laughs> well, and that was my question too, because I have a good friend who has Hodgkin's lymphoma. And after she had both of, she had a singleton and then twins. And then like they were monitoring her blood because at a certain point when her platelets would get to a certain level, she had to go back on her, like her, her medications. So she was only allowed to breastfeed for like two months for each baby. So I was curious to know like how breastfeeding went and like if you were able to breastfeed them. I, I was. I breastfed for 17 months, but actually I pumped. 17 months? One seven. But see, I pumped. I pumped so that they always could equally have the same amount of milk. Because this, this is my OCD type A, like triathlete personality. To ah, I didn't want one to have an unfair advantage. Yeah. So I just pumped. I pumped. And they were tongue-tied. So mm. Ryder had a harder time <laughs> latching. So, and then I had both of them lift. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just bottled for 17 months. And then, and as they got older, it was, I didn't, I just couldn't produce enough for them. So I would give, it would be like formula. I think it was about a year. It'd be then formula and then um, breast milk, formula, breast milk, formula, breast milk. So yeah. it was crazy. That's amazing, Jamie. I mean, we always say like fed is best. And I always tell twin moms that it doesn't matter like how you feed your baby. If you like exclusively pump and then give them milk or, you know, formula, like my kids, it was a combination and it's just like 17 months is amazing. That's incredible. Good <laughs> well, for you. It was also, I was poor. I had no money and someone gave me a pump. So I was like, I will, you know, I mean, you know, you do, you absolutely as a mom, 
do what you can and you're the right mom for your kids. So whatever you choose to do is it, I was, I was a formula baby and I think I turned out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, what you said quickly before we leave it about, um, having your kids be on equal footing. I think it's important for a lot of moms to hear. I did the exact same thing when I breastfed the triplets. Like we were so scheduled with their nursing. It was like, okay, each of you gets 25 minutes on a boob and then you come off and then someone else can get 25, no more, no less. You cannot fall asleep while you're nursing. Otherwise it messes up the whole system. But it's, it's just stuff that kind of helps you as the mom mentally think, everyone's getting a fair shake, mm -hmm. you know, like, and even if it doesn't matter, you know, or if one kid doesn't need it as much as another kid, it's still important because it kind of keeps your spirits. Like I'm doing it I'm doing it well. And you know, whatever. Um, and you're giving them that equal time. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Cause that's like what you hear all the time is like, right. I just feel like I can't really give each one of them their time. And it's like, that's a way as a twin mom that you're like, okay, well, I can't hold, physically hold you each in an equal amount of time every day. Cause it's not possible. These are the tiny ways that I can yeah. like level the playing field for my consciousness and feel like I'm giving you an even shake. So I love that, that well, you yeah. did that. And that's even more so with triplets. I mean, mm -hmm. hate to say, but yeah. poor number three, like, <laughs> yeah, right. Where is number three? You know, like, I don't know. Middle child. Yeah, it's awful. Awful. And we won't even talk about the older two that are already living, you know, people that get zero attention because they have three new siblings. Like, but it's just, those are great little tiny things that moms need to hear to say, okay, I'm not nuts. This is what, this is what I can do to mm -hmm. make this happen better. Okay. So you nurse forever. Oh. What were you going to say? Go ahead. I said, it's true. I would even like when one would go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I would automatically wake up the other one. Like, yeah. like you said, I'm so on schedule and I yeah. always had them schedule and it was just always that way, the, yeah. you know, and I now, mean, it, that, it's, it's worked that, so far. Yeah. So can I ask you, was that like instinctual for you or did anyone give you that advice? And it was Courtney on the same page with it. Yes. And was Courtney on the same page? So here's the deal. Like, I won't lie and I won't sugarcoat. My dad is the one who came and was like my backup. Courtney was like off having a midlife crisis or I, I don't really know. And he helped when he was around. But it was my dad who came up and was like, I'm going to stay with you three days a week and I will take the night shift. So all I had to do is get up and pump and he was the one that fed them and changed diapers. And then it turned into like four and five days. And so, um, no, I just like with cancer, I did wow. not join a support group. I didn't I didn't have anything out there. I live out in the country and it was one of the very instinctual and I just did everything kind of like how I would approach a race. It was very methodical and precise and schedule. And um, I do remember people telling me at my hour, like sleep when they sleep. And I think it was, it was so hard to do because you want to get things done when mm -hmm. they're sleeping. Oh, I can vacuum or I can clean. But that those words like really stuck with me. And so I knew if my kids are sleeping, I need to take a nap. I don't care if my floors are sticky. I don't care if the house is a mess. First of all, no one's coming to visit me and spending, spending time with them and taking care of 
their needs was far more important than having a clean house, right? I mean, even to this day, I will choose to go play with the kids or spend quality time with them. And if our house is a little extra messy, you know, oh, well, because I'm never going to get this time back. Like my house can be clean when my children are eight and leave. Like it can be span. You could eat off for then. But right now, if I spend time cleaning my house and making it perfect, it means time is, is away from them. And time's already away when I train, time's away when they go to school. So I always think it think of it as like prioritizing, kind of like in a triathlon. And, you know, you spend your time with the thing that's the bulk of your triathlon, like the bike. Bikes always are, you do most training in the bike. And then the run are what they are. So the bulk of my training is or daily daily partaking of of life is with my kids. It's as much as I can with my kids. So what I'm, I'm going to bounce back a little to them as infants. Um, I don't know. Uh -huh. Will you like kind of map out the timeline from, wait a minute. First of all, this is what I wanted to know as a disabled person with two babies, like what was the gear that you yeah. most relied on? Like what was the most useful thing for you as a twin mom? What was it? What did you use? The oh, most I love it. So happy you had. They could, when they could walk, it was the monkey backpacks. And here's why. I have two boys that crawl. They would or climb. They climb on everything and they can run. And let's just face it, even a two-year-old can outrun me. So I had this Honda element with the suicide doors. And yeah. it was fantastic because I could climb in. I could unbuckle one. I'd put the monkey backpack on him. I would tie it to the car so that he couldn't go anywhere. And then I would un unlatch the other one. And let me tell you, the one time I did not tie down Ryder, he climbed from the curb onto the hood of my car and then went like all the way and was standing on my at four years old. Those monkey backpacks were lifesavers. I could go to a public restroom and I would tie them to the coat rack. And the whole time I would, I would be yelling at them, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. And they couldn't touch the ground because the backpack would get them. <laughs> that was like my total lifesaver was those Dude. monkey backpacks. That is amazing because I, I tried the monkey backpacks because my daughter is a runner and she would she wouldn't move unless she walked herself. So she would carry the leash in her own hand, but she wouldn't run away from me. <laughs> but how did you get around with them? Like when like, they couldn't when, walk. When they're when they're however it worked, it worked. I agree. That's right. <laughs> Agatha was asking, what about when they were infants? So, like with yeah, the bucket luckily, feet? I, I, I remember when I'd have to go grocery shopping, I would, I was always in handicap parking. And again, the suicide doors helped a lot. I would go get a cart because a cart would be right next to where I park. And I would just put them, put the infant seats like in the grocery cart. And then somehow I would just pack all around them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just like, I, I always figured out how to do it and they learned I mean, they very much learned we don't have a five-second rule. Anytime food would fall, I would, like, step on it. And so then one time I spilled blueberries at home, and Christian walks up and smashes and says, no five-second rule, and I had blueberries all over my floor. But, you know, I mean, like, kids, they just, they learn, and you learn to adapt. Um, 
you know, I don't know. I honestly half the time don't know because I do remember sometimes like one kid would go one way and another kid would go another way. And I would be like, oh, my gosh, I have to pick one. So usually it was like yelling at someone, hey, grab that kid. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. they would climb in and out of parts too. I'd be, I could be at Target. And Ryder would be in the in the basket part and Christian would be sitting in the front part. And Ryder, if I stopped to look at something, boom, he was out and down down the aisle. I was like, are you kidding me? So then I just started tying him into the basket. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do what you do. And like I have definitely done that, too, where you just yell at strangers for help. You know, it's like as a twin parent, like especially I'm sure with the triplets, like. You just you just do it, you know. Although I bet you heard the triplets never did that to Betsy. The triplets, oh gosh, yeah. like we, I took them everywhere because I didn't have real help with them, you know, um, which was fine. But I also had a two-year-old at the time when they were born, and a five-year-old. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so my. The, well, when they were babies, like when the triplets were in there, like those little click in car seats, if I had to walk in somewhere, I would have a bucket on one arm, a bucket on the other arm, and I'd be holding the handle of the third bucket in the middle. So I would be have three massive car seats that and my arms straight out in front of me in like a horseshoe shape carrying them. It was, oh wow, my arms were veiny, like they were. So people are like, what do you do? I'm like, I carry around the triplets. Like, you know, like, <laughs> duh. But I think um, you're right. You just adapt because like, I think we're you, me, Agatha, we are like-minded in that we're pretty stubborn in knowing we can do it ourselves. It's like, no, I don't need to, right. you know, I'm going to figure this out. And yeah, if I need to yell at a random person to stop my kid, then that's necessary. But it's not because I can't do it. You know, it's like, I, I'm going to figure this out. I'm their mom. And I don't need to ask, you know, 12 other people to be my staff just because I have a bunch of kids. Right. Right. So. Okay. So monkey backpacks, anything else? I remember when they were really little, I had the bumbo seats and I loved mm -hmm. those. That was to maneuver with them. I mean, they could sit when they couldn't mm -hmm. hold themselves up. I, I really think that was like the smartest invention ever. <laughs> it is. It feel like, and yeah, they can see everything. And they can see everything. My kids yeah. love those too. It was like they all, because my kids never wanted to lie down. They wanted to see everything. So I was always propping them in pillows and corners, you know? And then yeah. when they were finally big enough to put them in those bumbo seats at like four months, I was like, they were so stoked. Yeah. You could like plop them down anywhere. <laughs> and just be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, like screaming and yelling and stoked. Yeah, people gave us hand-me-down though because mm. I wasn't gonna. I was so cheap, Jamie. I got everything like pre-used. Like I took cribs from people who didn't want them anymore. Like that was not gonna be my thing. I wasn't gonna spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on triplet gear. Um, right. But we're we're gonna do a week coming up where we do talk about gear and like what's actually useful and what's a complete waste of time and money. So we were curious yeah. what you would say. Yeah. About I think it really highly depends on your, your lifestyle, like what you do. You know, like I ended up getting one of those kids burlies. I borrowed it from one of my athletes and I, we would plop the kids in the back of there so we could go for a bike ride. And yeah. I think you know, that was great. And I also had, an, I never had a normal stroller. I only had the Ironman stroller that you run with mm. because those ended up smoother for me and easier to travel with. Yeah. So even run and I would put them in that. I never had a high chair. 
I went from the bumbo seat to just one of those like chairs with the tray that sits in a chair. Yeah. Um, I like, like you, I never, I never paid for cribs. In fact, I was given two cribs and we, ne- the boys used them maybe for two weeks. Those kids slept in pack and plays for two years of their life. They just <laughs> loved the pack and plays. Then they, well, because then we had issues with like my bathroom caught fire and I had to go live with my dad for a little while. What? So then uh, it was just like, and then another time, like I was getting a new roof and I went somewhere for the weekend. And when I came back, it had rained. And so the ceiling, I came home to the ceiling on the floor. So like you just name it. And the- my boy was a challenge. So I, I don't know. I laugh at the, you know, like people spending a lot of money on all this kind of stuff. I'm like, kids learn to adapt. And if you, if you teach your kid to be flexible, like my kids have slept on couches. My kids have slept in the car. My kids have slept at my dad's house. They've slept on um, you know, in hotels or whatever. And I've heard parents like, oh, my kid can only sleep in, in their bed. And I was just like, how do you do anything in life? Like, how are you ever going to do anything if your kid will only sleep in his bed and never learns to like do anything? Like mine, I could throw a cot out outside and be like, this is where you're sleeping tonight. And they'd say, okay, they <laughs> slept in the back of the car. I mean, flexibility is huge and teaching your kids to have that flexibility, I think is crucial for any kid but also like having you know routine they need routine but learn flexibility yeah my opinion no i (laughs) i totally agree it's like you have to have like there's this great french saying about raising kids that like you have very strong parameters but within those parameters a lot of flexibility you know and like the gift of sleep i think is one of those and like i was super structured about their naps but it was like i was dead set on making sure that they could independently sleep, you know, that they could fall asleep on their own, that they could do it in multiple places because from a lifelong shitty sleeper that I am, I was like, if the one gift that I can give you is that Mm -hmm. you can sleep well anywhere, like you will thank me when you're 40. (laughs) Yes. 100% agree. Yeah. So true. (laughs) So when in all of this did your divorce happen? And like, how did that like, feel amongst all of these obstacles that you've already gone through, you know? Yeah, it was, you know, I think I, when I look back at my 17 year marriage, I, I know there were issues just before the cancer. And then of course, cancer comes and then the pregnancy comes. And I remember him walking out when the boys were not even a year old, like he just left and he was like, I'm done. You know, and he I think he wanted to get divorced then. And I'm thinking I have no job. I have no money. And I have newborn children like you get your butt back home. Like we'll figure this out. And so we we went to counseling, but he never um, I, I always felt like it was like me putting the effort in and trying to get the help and trying to fix things and then just never growing up. And and I think um, once I started racing again. Uh, I started learning like my own independence. Uh, Courtney was a part of my whole first pro career. He was very instrumental in my success as panic and everything. Like I owe, I owe much of my, you, you know, huge success to him. I won't deny that. But when I started going in the Paralympic route, I had to learn to do everything on my own. Like, you, you know, he no longer is traveling with me. And I think, um, I don't know, somehow like it just kind of started to get worse. Like we started to have two different lives. Like, like every time I left, my dad took care of the kids. And when I would come home, 
yeah, he 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 wouldn't come home till like nine o'clock at night. And I'm not I'm not trying to bash him. I'm trying to speak a very hard truth of we very much were growing apart. And then um, I I raced in Rio. I won I won silver and medal uh, gold medal there. And I want to say maybe five wait three months after that he went to Hawaii on a job and met someone. And so the person was all of a sudden like contacting him and I just had no clue. Like I, I remember being at a camp and thinking I really want to go home and work on our marriage because it sucks. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like this sucks. I'm not happy. He can't be happy. Like we got to figure out what, what's, what's defective about it or what's going wrong because we have two children. And so when I came home ready to say like, let's do this, he was like, I'm out. I don't want to work on this. I'm not going to get help. And then, and it was just a really weird situation. Like I, I always often talk about how like cancer was emotional or like physically hard and to, to overcome and to endure, but like going through a divorce just floored me. I have never been a person that had like, that can say I've been depressed. Like I'm always just the happy go lucky. I look for the silver lining. And for the first time in my life, I experienced these feelings that were just like heartbreaking. And I, I felt you know, I'd been lied to for so long and betrayed, um, you know, couldn't we have dealt with this like adults or I don't know. And then I just looked at my children and I'm like, I came from a broken home. You know, my parents got divorced and now this is happening to them and it's not fair. And, and it progressively got worse. Like then I just spiraled into like, I got up every day because I had to take care of the kids and I did what needed to be done. But racing was hard. Speaking in front of like hundreds and thousands of people at a time was hard because inside, like I was so broken Mm -hmm. and I was so, and I just wanted to be happy, but yet I'd put a smile because even as bad as it was, I could put on a smile knowing that like, it could be worse. You know what I mean? And, and I knew I, I came out of depths of cancer and I knew I was going to come out of the depths of divorce. And I knew that there was somebody out there that was going to be the right person for me. And even though I had a great career and I had two, I have two amazing children, Courtney was, he just was not the right person for me. He, he was not. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I got to then be on my own, find myself, heal, um, become strong in who I was and focus on my kids because then I was ready to be in a new relationship. So, but yeah, it was a long road. I mean, it took three years for me to be ready to finally receive the love from the person that I now am with. So it's, it's been a crazy journey. <laughs> Is that person an athlete too? No. he. I mean, like, so he's a dad at, at, at my school. And the weird thing is, like, I've always, he's always been on my radar. But he's, and he's a lot like my dad, which is awesome because I have a great relationship with my dad yeah. and I love him. And so I've always noticed him. His daughter has been in kindergarten and first grade with Christian and then, his then his daughter was in second and third with Ryder, and now she's in fourth and will be in fifth and sixth with Ryder. So I've they've always come to the birthday parties, and I've just always noticed him. But he's super quiet, um, kind of like more of an introvert. Uh, plays the guitar, lo- you know, loves to be outdoors and stuff. Um, just real mellow. And then you have me, who's like super talkative, super outgoing, super high strung. 
And so like, it just, but it works well because like when he's around me, he, it like, you know, he feeds off of that and then he's excited to do things. And, and then he mellows me out a little bit. Cause he's just super chill. Like, yeah, whatever you want to do, Jamie. I'm like, yes. So <laughs> and he has two kids and he has two kids, one eight. He has a son that's eight and a daughter that's 10. So now like we went from three, each of us went from three to like six and we're getting ready to go to Colorado together. And it's like six of us. And it's so awesome because the kids, like, they have their downs. But they always, like, dating when you have kids is hilarious because they're always like, so when you get married in, like, three months or, you know, they just have no concept <laughs> of anything. Oh, my God. When you get married in three months. Yeah. That's amazing. Like maybe not. Well, clearly they're pushing for it. So it sounds like you've got like a, you know, a, a modern version of the parent trap on your hands. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? Or the Brady Bunch. I keep thinking, like, how, how can I make my own theme song of like the Brady Bunch to fit that? Oh, it would be. You're already like, all you have to do is tell someone all of this and then end with the fire in the bathroom or whatever. <laughs> and someone would sign you, Jamie. Somebody would. Like, this is too much. This is amazing. And that you're laughing about I, it. It's just crazy. So God, so good. Oh, I I showered, just so you know, when the boys were like, so the boys up till they were two or three showered in the sink, right? Because my bathroom did not get fixed for a year and a half, which was probably also part of my marital problems with Courtney. But I showered, I showered outside on my deck because we live out in the country, you know, trees, people can't see us. But it started with milk jugs. So I'd wash my hair in the sink and then I'd come outside and I would use milk jugs. And then I think about three, four months before the bathroom was finally finished, he actually hooked up a shower out here to where I could, but I couldn't shower till he came home because I'm disabled and had two kids. So if I slipped and fell in the wintertime, like, and whack my head, who's going to take care of the kids? So I, I would be showering at 10 o'clock at night because that's cold. when he'd come home in the cold, like freezing cold. When I would get out of the shower, I would have to be real careful because the deck would just be ice. And I kept thinking, like, this is really smart. Crippled woman, icy deck, you know, showering at 10 o'clock at night. But, you know, I look back at all of this, and through that time, I kept telling myself, there are people that walk, like, a mile or more for dirty water to shower and to drink with so I can suck up the ice on the deck because at least the water's hot. Uh, you know, I'll deal with this. But a year and a half, a year and a half. Uh, <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're backing up again because you kind of just like glanced over the gold medal. <laughs> Can we talk about that a little bit more, please? So Rio, you are deciding, okay, that you, were you training specifically to make the team? What was your, I mean, your goal must've been always to win, but like, what was, what was the buildup to that like? Like, I don't, we've never raced in the Olympics. Please tell us more. Right? Yeah. I, you know, it was so because Xterra, every year you had an opportunity to be world champion. Every yeah. year, you know, however you walked away from worlds, you're like, I'm coming back next year. So to build for four years was incredibly new. I mean, we still have world championships and things like that, but your ultimate goal is like, yeah, I don't want to just go to Rio. I want to win. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, 
you know, at first it was like, I don't want to just get medals either. Like I want gold. I'm not trying to be greedy or anything, but I've been through a lot. So, yeah. um, uh, so I, on the day after opening ceremonies, like I skipped opening ceremonies because we had the three K pursuit, which is on the track. So I had to learn a whole nother sport. I had to learn to ride on a track bike, which it's is a fixed yeah. And you go in circles like NASCAR and I ended up making the gold medal round, which meant I You'd never done that before. You'd never done that before and won gold. You touched down in Rio, hop on a bike on a track. Well, I had been training on the velodrome. Like I had learned okay. three years prior. So I, think, okay. I think 2013 was the first time I got on a track bike and I was terrified. And my coach was laughing because he's like, Jamie, you were a pro mountain biker. Why are you scared? I was like, yeah, but I had brakes. Um, wait, wait, wait. And so just different. like riding in a circle, were you like, this is horrible? Or did you think it was kind of great compared to like Xterra racing? It was, it's just different. It was scary and exciting. If I was on the track by myself, I loved it. It was having other people on the track because so you have to, to you. Have, oh my gosh. You absolutely have to use the track. You have to, all the rules are like different yeah. because you can't drop down. You can't swing up on someone. You're always having to pay attention to where everyone else is. And yeah. Carson in LA is like one of the hardest tracks to ride because the, um, the banks are so steeped. It's like, a, it's like the shape of a hot dog instead of a normal track, which would be more like a hamburger. So it makes the, the corners cornering very steep. But oh. once like I really started getting into it, I think in 2014, I set, I set, I broke two world records in the 500 and the 3K pursuit, which got me nominated for, for the ESPYs that year, which I went on to win, which was way cool. Like I got to like rub elbows with all kinds of famous sports people. And I'm such a huge sports fan. That was so awesome. So it was like every year things were evolving. And then 2015, I started doing like media stuff for Team USA. So it, it was completely different in Xterra. It was such a bigger platform and a bigger, bigger magnitude. Like it was just amazing. And then, and then 2016 rolls around. I end up going to the Paralympic trials and qualified in the top spot. So, cause we have a ranking system and it's based on how you're disabled because we're all in different categories. And there's like, I think there's something like one, two, five, and like 13 different categories for women. So from like two wheeled bikes to tandems, to hand cycles, to trikes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm like a C3. I'm in the smack dab middle of like a more able-bodied disabled person and a really crippled person. So I end up qualifying in the ranking system in the top spot and I've earned my slot. And it's like one of those where you're so excited, but yet you know, you know, your job's not done yet. So then I, 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 we go to, we go to camps and everything. And then we head out to Houston. We go through processing. We show up. I have to skip opening ceremonies, which was like heartbreaking, but at the same time, like it paid off because then we raced on the velodrome and like, I think it was something we figured out like one second separated second place to fifth place on any given day, like race. Women. like one second so if you come out of the gate wrong or you know you fumble a little on the line like you you lose out on a spot it's that the first place gal had was significantly ahead of us like she had broken my record by three seconds so she she's a bit of ways out there so we're all fighting for two spots the third well four because or three because 
you have the gold medal and then you have the bronze medal round. And I was like, please make the gold medal round because then no matter what, you walk away with a medal. You're either gold or silver and it doesn't matter what your time is, you're, you're getting a medal for sure. But if you make it to the bronze medal round, you, you, if you lose, you're fourth place, which is like the worst. So I qualified for the gold medal round and I, you could not wipe the smile off my face until, until I was until like forever, because it was just, I knew I was like, I'm going home with a medal no matter what. So I was the first cyclist to win a medal and it ended up being the silver. She caught me six, six laps into a 12 lap race. And I mean, she was just a beast. And so she then we then the 500 and I, I'm not a sprinter, so I didn't do well in that. And then we went transferred to the road. I did the TT, which I had been dominating for the last three years. And I, I had a good race, but it, it just, it, for whatever reason, like I fell short and I finished like seventh place. And it was, I mean, it, 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 I was disappointed, but I knew I still had one more race. And the weirdest thing the night before the road race, I actually dreamt because I would always go to sleep with scenarios in my head of like going over my race plan. And I was dreaming so hard about all the different ways that I could possibly win this race that I literally dreamt I won the race. And I woke up the next morning and I looked at my teammate and I was like, holy crap, I just dreamt I won. I don't know if that's good or if that's bad because I'm really freaked out right now. And so because it was so real. And so I ended up, you know, just doing my daily routine thingy in the morning got to this starting line and it was such a flat course that, and there was only a few Hills that I knew trying to win was going to be like super hard. It was going to come down to a sprint, no matter what it was going to come down to a sprint. And it was like, who do you want to go to the finish line with? Who can I out sprint? And how do we get rid of all these other jokers was all I kept thinking about the entire race. No matter, no matter how often I attack, it, it, I could, we couldn't drop anyone because then you'd end up in a headwind and everybody would just up. So finally I quit attacking and I just sat back and I let everybody else do the work. And the whole time I kept thinking like, we've got to make a move. And so we entered into the last hill section and the gal from China and Germany and I took off. Like we just broke hard, made the U-turn and something happened in the back. Like we had gotten a sizable gap. We were going up the last hill line. And then this is where my mountain kind of came in. It had been raining and wet earlier. So the road was super slick. And I just, I just took this turn, like my life depended on it. And I was like, I don't care. This is where I got to do it. And I, I made a sizable gap on both the Chinese gal and the German, but I knew they'd catch me because we still had two kilometers to go to the finish line. And it was a straight headwind and I'm the smallest athlete out there. So I just tucked. And I kind of looked over my shoulder and I saw them coming for me, but they had to work so hard to catch me that by the time they caught me, I, I was like pretending to be super tired. I tagged in behind them, and now I knew, okay, I'm, I'm getting a medal, but I don't want bronze. I already have a silver. I got to go for gold. How do I do this? And so the German gal goes to the left. I go to the right. And I kept thinking like, I'm not a sprinter. I'm a hill climber. When do I attack? Like, I don't even know. Because if you go too soon, you lose. You yeah. go too. So I see the 500 meter mark. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, the finish line is coming. Like it's coming. And then all of a sudden I see the 200 meter sign. And I was like, that must be my sign. And I just stood up and sprinted and like narrowly edged out the, the other two gals to take the win. Like our finish time is all the same. That's how close Whoa. it was. 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's fucking amazing. Wow. Did you lose it? Did you freak out? I did. Like I did. I'm never one to like showboat. Like I don't throw my hands in the air. I mean, you know, from Xterra, I just was yeah. never one to be like in your face. But like <laughs> I, I did a little like, oh my gosh, I just did this. And I think one of the, the biggest memories that I had was when I was on the podium standing and, and the national anthem was being played and the flag was up there. Mm. The federales allowed Ryder and Christian to come over the fence. And mm. so like I had plenty of them and then the flag and then my dad was standing there and he was all like teary eyed. And I just thought like my dad has been through so much with me, like, mm -hmm. you know, like just, he's in there. He's been like the rock, and it was such a joy to be able to have this moment and know that my dad, first of all, got to be a part of it, but that like I owed so much to him and he got to see this. He finally got to see like from those darkest days in the hospitals from when, you know, like the first time my ex left, like the kids being up all night, like he was just always there and he was getting to celebrate. And it was just so cool. And it's a memory the kids will always, you know, have with yeah. them for, for life. We were there. Gosh, that's amazing. That's totally amazing. Oh, I can't wait for people to hear this. Like, I feel like we have to tease this recording. Like, this is a story you probably never heard, but you're never going to forget. Like, all of you moms, <laughs> you're sitting there with your six week old twins in your comfy house and you're so depressed. Like, hello, <laughs> you know? Hello. And like, just thinking that what you keep saying is like, it could always be worse. Mm -hmm. Like if everyone just kind of kept that in the front of their mind at all times, you know, wouldn't the world be a more optimistic place? Like, you know, it's so awesome to hear from moms like you who are badasses and who are like killing it. And you've had every reason to quit. Like you've had every reason to sit down and say, nope, not today. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember, I remember after my third surgery, the doctor or the, the nurse coming in saying, Hey, you know, you need to get up and walk. And I looked at her and I was like, you know what? Not today. I said, I promise I will walk twice tomorrow, but today I, I just can't. And I, and, and it's such a vivid memory because it was one of those that sometimes, sometimes we do need to like take that break or, or we need to have our like 15 minutes of like, this just sucks. Yeah. But I never allowed myself to like go past that 15 minutes. And, and this is from the start of cancer because here's why. Like being stuck in that emotion will not change your situation. Um, many people ask me like, why did you return to a second career? You'd already proven everything as a pro. And I thought, because I don't ever want my kids to like make an excuse. I don't ever want them to like allow life to dictate where they go. And that way my kids will always know that life's about, you know, pushing through, not quitting just because things are, are hard. And, and that's the unique thing about me, a being disabled and having had cancer is that anytime my kids start to complain, I'm always like, yeah, but you didn't have cancer. So they're like mom. And I'm like, well, you're not crippled, so you can do it. So move it. But there's just this, they never can have an excuse. Like I don't quit. So you can't quit. I, I totally agree with that. They have no excuses That's whatsoever. So 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so tell me about the twin that cycles in jeans. Oh my gosh, that's Ryder. Oh my gosh. Ryder is hilarious. Like both both kids are definitely a mixture of their dad and myself, a hundred percent. But what they got from each parent makes them so incredibly different. It's hilarious. Like Ryder is just like that raw grit, determined, like I'm gonna do this my way and I'm gonna do it. So Here's the cool thing. We he's been trying to get on that red this red felt bike that I bought my dad and I bought for my nephew when he was younger to do his first triathlon. It's like a 47 road bike with 650 wheels. For 2 years Ryder has been too short and finally this year like we ran across it and he's like, "Mom, do you think I can ride it?" and he hops on it and he, and it fits like pretty well. It's still a little big, but whatever. He can pedal the bike. So we start riding And I'm like, dude, I bought you like bike shorts. You know, why don't we use bike shorts? He's like, no, I'll wear jeans. This kid runs in jeans and like a hundred degree weather. He will try to wrestle in jeans, which they had to make a rule. No wearing jeans because he always wants to wear jeans. Like if he could wakeboard in jeans, pretty sure he'd be wakeboarding in jeans. So, so I tell him, I like, but like, if you get past 20 miles, I'm pretty sure the jeans are going to start being uncomfortable. And he's like, nope, I'm wearing jeans. And then I was like, please put the bike shorts underneath the jeans. He's like, nope. So every day, and our longest right now is only about 15 miles that he rides in his jeans, like twice a week, three times a week, the dude's wearing jeans. And here's the thing. He, he wants to raise money for Challenged Athletes Foundation Um, in October. So on October 28th, he has pledged to ride 50 miles and he's starting a page. Like we're working on the bio right now. I just sent them a picture and he wants to raise like a minimum of like $1,500. And then my hope is in March, you know, CAF will do, do this thing to where he can actually hand a check or adaptive equipment to a kid his age so that he oh. can see the direct impact he's had on someone. Um, and then it gets even better. So for their school project every year, um, starting in fourth grade all the way to sixth grade, they're supposed to do some sort of a charity work. And it's really hard to find charity work for kids that, number yeah. one, they're, like, motivated yeah. about. Yeah. So so this will double as his project. So he's going to mm -hmm. blog about, like, through my, my page about, like, what the ride was like. And we're going to invite people to ride with us. And it could take – we could be out there for eight hours riding 50 miles, and he will probably be in jeans. And that will be his signature thing. But, like, how cool would it be for him to be able to bless another kid his age so that no kid is ever turned down to, like, sports? You know what I mean? Like, I always tell Ryder – You can go out and you can play soccer and you can ride a bike and you can do all these things and you don't need any kind of adaptive equipment. But they know, like, mommy can't just hop on a bike and ride. Like, my foot won't stay. I can't even use my foot if I don't have my special brace. So he knows the direct impact that Challenged Athletes has made in my life and how, you know, even if I want to try a new sport, I could call up Challenged Athletes and be like, I want to try sit skiing and they will make it happen. And that's like the most incredible thing because I can't. I will never be able to ski the normal way that people ski because of my leg, but there's always going to be that, that there. And so he wants to now join that movement of, mm. you know, these able-bodied people and whatever helping so that everyone can participate in sport. It's going to be awesome. I love that. That's amazing. It's awesome. What is October 28th? What happens on that day? 
So I think that's the day that normally we would have been doing the challenged athlete triathlon. So it's like one of the big, yes, in La Jolla. And they're, yeah, they've had a million times. Yeah. So that's, so I normally, I've done the million dollar challenge for four years in a row. And this will be the first year that I don't, I, that we're not doing it. And so, um, and then I was going to have Ryder go down and do like a relay part of that ride, or I was going to ride it with him. But since we can't, we've picked that day to be his day that he rides 50 miles and we'll see okay. how much money between now and then we can raise and then spread awareness and all that kind of stuff. So it should be fun. And then the report that he'll do for school for his classmates to learn will be in May next year. So, okay. So don't, so don't forget, Jamie, when you do that calendarly questions, there's like 10 questions yeah. in there in that email that I sent you this morning. And one of them, one of them is, is like what you would want to promote. So please drop his link in there so that we can like promote it across our channels to help him raise the money too. Okay. Yeah. So, did you get my email this morning? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've got it. Yeah. So just when you have a moment in the next couple of days, it's, it's basically like your bio, your name, your social media handles and a photo. But then one of the questions is like, you know, if there's something you want to promote. So put that link in there for sure. And then, like I said, it'll prompt you to like pick a calendar day to do your podcast. Just pick any day. It doesn't matter. It's just something we tend to do beforehand. Um, but then that way we can definitely help like push, push for that for you over the next couple okay. months there. And let me know if you, if you come down to the race in La Jolla, you're not coming this year. Well, they're not having it. Anytime. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if they're having it. That's yeah. right. They can't even do that, can they? Well, they might. October's a little far away, so I guess we'll see. Right. We have to let you come if you're, if, when they have it again and you're in La Jolla, you have to let us know. We're just north of that. And I would, okay. I another family that has triplets, um, her, so she has, she had triplets. One of them was totally healthy. One of them had to have open heart surgery right after birth. And one of them had to have his leg amputated right at the knee at birth. And so he has this awesome, um, it's like a, you know, like the blade runner foot. Do you remember that? Yeah. He has this amazing prosthetic that is, you know, it, it, he gets new ones all the time because he's growing so much. And he's the same age as my, no, he's a year older than my triplet. So he'll be going into fourth grade. But he goes to that every year and races it too. And she's invited me before. She's like, you have to come down and, you know, support him and check it out or whatever. And I've told her, I was like, years ago, I was there every year. But yeah. once they get back to the real world and we start racing again, you have to let me know if you're in Southern California. Oh, for sure. Why would you? That would be crazy. I can't, I cannot believe it's been 16 years. Oh my God. I know. Remember all the sports drinks? I, I was always that shark, they had, which was like Red Bull. And I would drink that. And then you'd order like a bunch of plates and you're like, Jamie, you drink all your calories and I eat all mine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I still tell my kids, I'm like, stop drinking calories. It's a waste of time. Eat calories you don't drink calories and they're like mom you know they just want like the smoothie i'm like no that's 30 dollars worth of produce you just used for your stupid <laughs> smoothie i'm like eat the freaking food you know like and they just can't stand it and i'm like you're not gonna waste this of course one of the triplets only consumes calories. <laughs> yes and She's one like of the triplets only eats raw fruits and vegetables like he's like 
He's like, he's oh. like you. He's like, oh, and tuna, raw fruits and vegetables and tuna. It's his entire diet. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm still that way. I'm like, stop drinking the freaking calories. <laughs> yes. Dressing I don't know. Water. Water. Yeah, I can. Oh, I remember. So, like, I thought you were such a riot way back then. And I cannot believe I just thought about you. And I cannot believe all that I found out about you. Like, just with a quick Google search, I was like, holy cow. This is, oh, it's been God. amazing. This has been totally inspiring. And I think that, like, you, uh, you are a true warrior. I mean, I think that every mom who has multiple babies is a true warrior, but I think that you. No, definitely... you've taken that up a Yeah, few you've taken it up a whole bunch of notches. For sure. Oh my God. I'm very privileged uh, to spend 90 minutes listening to your story. I so I know. I mean, is there anything you think we missed or important to talk about, like as far as being a twin parent? I think what you're doing, like, obviously, if, if Ryder's the one biking with you, Christian must be interested in other things. And I think that's important for parents just with multiples to know. It's like, no, they're not gonna be interested in the same stuff. Yes, you're gonna have to figure out how to make everyone happy or at least engaged in something that they're interested in. Um, right, I mean, yeah, I have, a, I, there's one thing that I've found, like twin, people are so different. Like there's, there, believe it or not, there's like at least five sets of twins at, at our school. It's a Montessori public school. So it's pretty rad, but like, it, you know, as a single mom, I don't have the option of, of like, you know, always doing one-on-one -on -one with my kids. Like, it's, yeah. it, but we, t but I take those one-on-one -on -one moments, like Ryder wants to ride with me. And so Christian will stay back. And then, you know, I try to do something different than with, with Christian, whereas he's like really into world war two, he's really into tanks and guns. And so, <laughs> you know, I used to know a lot about guns. So we kind of go back and forth with that and he makes all kinds of Lego creations. And, and so I try to take an interest in each one does, but we also, I also have have this rule being the single mom um as your kid as kids multiples get older right even with just kids people parents with like five kids right they don't have to be twins but you've got kids in every that's different me. kind of sport that's, right? that's her with the five kids right you've got yeah five like kids. like me for instance now, yeah tell me what to do right so i have this rule where Ryder loves to run and he does cross country. So I've told Christian, like, you have to do cross country too, because your brother wants to do it. And I'm not coming to school to pick up one of you. So you're both going to do it. I don't care if you come in dead last, you need to exercise, you're going to do it. So he does it. And then Christian loves to wrestle and Ryder's like really good at it, but not a big fan because he's always like the smaller guy. Um, and so he's always like, I don't want to wrestle. And I'm like, well, you're going to do it because I'm not coming to the school for one to hang out. And then the one exception is Ryder loves soccer and has started to play comp soccer. He did one indoor season and got invited to play comp. So, oh, yeah, um, that's so fun. We have right? a kid involved so, in that. Right? So, yeah. so Christian, Christian will either, like, attend and watch and kind of do his own thing or he'll stay at home. But we support Ryder. And, he, and Christian doesn't have to do it. And the same with, like, Christian loves to snowboard more than his brother. So Ryder has to do it. And there's this learn, learning process of, like, give and take. We, we all do something we want to do. And then we do something that the other likes to do. Mm -hmm. So bike riding would be my pick. I'm always like, come on, everyone. Let's go for a ride or stand up paddleboarding so everybody gets into the kayaks or the 
and a paddleboard and we all go out as a group, six of us, and we just paddle around on the water and love it. And riding, Christian likes to mountain bike, but he doesn't like to road ride. And Ryder likes to road ride and he doesn't like to mountain bike. So go figure. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think that that's really important. I mean, I have a really good friend who has one-year-old twin boys and she's raising them on her own as a single mom so like I can't wait for her to listen to your whole entire story yeah because I think that a lot of single moms who have twins like it is really hard you know because you are one person and you do have two babies and you don't have that support system of another person like you had your dad right so you build a system from the people around you and it doesn't look traditional but it's doable and you can thrive and you can be happy and you can come out on the other side with like fantastic kids and and find a, a boyfriend that you love and, you know, and ha- hit all the wickets that you think that life is supposed to hand you, but it just looks different. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think the biggest thing too, when reentering the dating world was it's like this constant reassurance to my kids. Like you're always going to be first, mm-hmm. like your, your needs. And that's, what's great about the guy I'm dating, you know, him having two kids is that, you know, his kids are first my kids are first. The kids are always first. And then, you know, we, we take a backseat and, and it's always reassuring them because I think that's the hardest thing about separated families. I know when the boys go to their dad's, you know, they don't care for his girlfriend. They don't like her. And they're afraid to tell him anything because they think that he will choose her over them. Mm. And I've told them that's not true. But I think for any single parent out there, especially of multiples, is constantly reassuring your kids, even if they don't, if they don't, if you don't think they need it, they need it. They need Mm. to know that they're always going to be first. It's so important. Yeah, I love that. And it's so funny because like the mantra in our house here, like my husband and I is like, we always say we're husband and wife first and the kids come second. Yeah, you know? first. <laughs> yeah. Because, but but, it is. because we started that way. Yeah. And, and as, to be that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's really, it's a really wonderful thing when you're looking at on the flip side, because it is true. Like there is so much uncertainty for the children when that's starting to happen. Right. So I think that is just like such a wonderful way to look at it and like make sure that they feel secure in their attachments to you. And they know that like you will always come first because of course they are, you know, they came out of you, you know, so I think that's beautiful. For sure. And then we've learned like he'll come over and spend time with just my kids and I'll go over and spend time with just his kids so that I think that also just develops everybody's relationships better, you know, cause his kids now are super comfortable with me and mine just love him. They're always like, is Brian coming over? Is Brian coming over? And I want to go ride bikes with Brian now. And <laughs> Oh my God, that must touch your heart. <laughs> it does because, you know, because I know how they feel about their dad's, yeah. you know, partner. So like my biggest fear was like, oh my gosh, please, please like this guy. And every night I would be like praying, please like this guy. And I mean, I shouldn't worry. He's an awesome guy and he pays a lot of attention to them and he's super patient. So of course they're going to like him. <laughs> okay. I was looking over my notes that Agatha and I made yesterday. Something that you wanted to ask that we haven't asked. And this is, we're going to go back a little bit, Jamie. yesterday when we were kind of just going through is recovering from cancer and recovering from childbirth is there any like which was harder to compare them (laughs) yeah was one was one surprisingly not as hard or easier or harder than you thought i i would recovering from cancer was pretty hard like because my whole 
stomach had, especially the second surgery, because they cut open my stomach and my butt. So I, I could only sleep on one side for like four weeks and I couldn't sit on a toilet. You couldn't sit. So that was, that was really hard. No, I don't think anything will ever be as no. hard as that, oh. but I will say like recovering from childbirth. Um, it was the whole, I remember, so I never even got to take those Lamaze classes or whatever, like literally unprepared. Okay. I was like in the operating room going off of what I've seen on TV. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> weeks on bed rest you weren't like huh oh I, I could read google a book this. I could google it like <laughs> I, no I was too I was too busy watching like food network and stuff like an MMA fighting like really why would I why would I want to figure out how I'm supposed to have a kid or push a kid out so <laughs> <True>. <laughs> Well, I think I was also going operating off of like, oh, maybe they're just going to cut me open, whatever. Yeah. Like, I didn't really care at that point. I was like, my only job is keep them in as long as possible. And then the doctors will figure out how to get them out. So, so I do remember I had to be in an operating room because in case they had to cut yeah, me open. Yeah, yeah. But I just remember thinking, do I push now? Like, how hard do I push? And she's like describing, it's kind of like you're pooping on a toilet. I was like, what? <laughs> And you had no idea. That is so good. I love that. That's amazing. Just like, okay. And then you successfully delivered them vaginally. Right? Again, again. <laughs> it, was, it was, it's so, yeah, like breathing, all of that, like meant nothing to me. I was just like, I've been a racer all my life, so I'll figure this out. But like, then I remember them saying, you're either going to get cut or you will tear. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And I was a little yeah. frightful of that. And they were like, no, no, no. If you're cut, it's not that bad. And I was like, what? And I, I think the the one saving grace of my cancer is I've got partial numbness all throughout like certain areas. So I think it wasn't as bad for me simply because I had nerve damage in certain areas. Yeah. You couldn't feel the pain in, in the healing process as much. Correct. Yeah. But, and so how was it like training your body? Cause that's like, that's what I was fascinated by. It's like, okay, they took a good chunk of your body away from you and you, you healed, recovered, and then came back even stronger. And I was like, so what was like that train up process like after birth? Like, was it a breeze? Yeah, <laughs> I think that you know, for me, it was. Like, I remember even- You're so tiny. It's like your body's like, please, Lord, let me go back to 100 pounds. Please. <laughs> I remember the nurses, I had only been there for two weeks, right? Because- Cause the, the, or the kids were in the NICU for two weeks and every one of my, my nurses and the kids nurses within that two week span were like, it doesn't even look like you had kids. Like literally we cannot tell you had kids. And I was like, I, I mean, I don't know. I was, I, I really was all belly. Like it was just all belly. And once they came out, it all went away. And I had a little pudginess for a while, but I also was still kind of recovering from all of my surgical scars because right. I, I have like a lot in my stomach area. Like there's the one down the middle. There's the one where they put the kidney in. There's the ones where they pulled the kidney out. So I got a lot going on. And, and I mean, I was, it, it, I want to think how I, I remember for a year I didn't do anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're so stressed from taking care of kids that I think I probably lost weight just because of that. Yeah. Um, but I, 
they were a year old before I started exercising again, mm-hmm. like really full fledged. I'm going to take this seriously and start doing stuff. Um, I, I, I would walk, I would walk them. And I think moving is important, but I was also limited because I was like, well, you're crippled and there's only so many things you could do, but they were a year old before I got back on the bike. And then I've never looked back. I'm like later. <laughs> yeah. See ya. Peace out. No, I mean, I have a racing bike and I still do now even, but I had a racing bike set up in my garage on a trainer and just spin the hell out of that thing. You know, and you're pouring sweat, but you're doing something, but you're still home. But you feel right. like, yeah, like you're She said she would it. line up the triplets and like she would in spin. their bouncy seats. And I would just get on my bike and <laughs> just like that. And they would all be in their bouncy seats. <laughs> just like that. Yeah. It feels amazing to do that. I remember, so when the whole COVID-19 thing started and, you know, we were sequestered at home or quarantined at home and, yeah. um, I, I, I had to laugh because I want to say like maybe about six weeks in. So every day I was training and the boys would do their schoolwork or whatever while I trained. And they were just literally getting sick of each other. Cause one of the biggest things that the school they go to promoted was like, put them in their own classes. Mm-hmm. So they're not comparing themselves to each other so that they're not, you know, like they make their own friends and I'm still, I love it. I think it's a great idea. But the worst part is when one kid thinks they have the better teacher, right? And they're no. always like, well, they get to have a marble jar party and we don't. And when one kid has a birthday in that class, so they get a cupcake and the other kid doesn't. It's That's just exactly like, right. It's exactly end right. Of the world. But at the end of the day, I think it's it has been a better choice because they learn at their own um, pace. So now they're home and they're stuck and I'm out doing my thing because training doesn't stop. And I remember one day they were just bickering and fighting and it's not normal for them, honestly, to do that. Cause I just make them run laps. Every time they fight, I'm like, go run a lap. And it like redirects or do push-ups and pull. Like no matter, I'm a very like physical, if you're doing something, you're going to go out and do exercise. And then maybe you'll think twice about doing that again. So, and they comply, they always do it. And so one day Ryder was like, mom, you know, you get a break from us. You get to go ride your bike, but we're stuck with each other all this time. (laughs) And I started laughing. I'm like, that's so true. (laughs) Exercise is so important because you, that is your time for yourself. Like you need that time for sure. But I do love being able to ride with Ryder now, like two to three days a week and he just chit chats away and and it's always on my easy day and the kid just like charges up like what are you doing (laughs) i love that okay we've taken almost two hours of your time yes oh my god i feel like we could continue so we may have to do a part two because i want to have like a whole conversation about like present time now that we've gotten to this point because i have so many other questions we should do a part two would you be up for that yeah Okay. Okay. All right. We have to release this one. And then we are going to put something up, like just saying, Hey, we talked to a amazing person, Jamie Whitmore. You might not know who she is today. Google her. Yeah. Google her (laughs) and kind of tease the podcast, but we don't know when will it be I have dropped. To, I have to look at look in the schedule. Yeah. Cause like if, if Sandra could cut it relatively quickly, we could move fitness week. Like, back a little bit yeah. and then have it be our fitness week podcast yeah and then we're we doing- can share it with the CAF team too yeah. because I think it would be great if they put it out in their newsletter and stuff oh, too would be that rad. would be huge that would reach out to so many people yeah well we are we're doing a fitness week because Agatha is like super yogi I don't know if you can tell 
because you can't really see her. And uh, she's super fit that way. And then I've come from like an endurance background, right? And so right. we're trying to encourage people, even if you're not athletic, if you're not coordinated, if you're not whatever, it doesn't have to be like lactic acid and VO2 max and all this crazy stuff. Just move your body. Just move. Just move. Right? Especially when you're pregnant, you know, like you probably couldn't move as much as we did, you know, but like I snowboarded 36 days. Like I fucking was on my yoga mat every single day. I was handstanding the morning I gave birth. Like this one was in the pool the morning she gave birth doing laps. Like yeah, with a huge belly. And I really think that it made a huge difference in like both of our recoveries, you know, like mentally. No, I look like I'd had triplets for a long time. No, no, no. Go on to the, we are multiple um instagram she doesn't look like she has triplets yeah, she, her arms are like super tiny she was like she's fit as a fiddle with a ginormous belly jamie and i you were just oh, exactly just the same saw a oh you did looking good looking good yeah. <laughs> big old big old but now unfortunately like my abdominal wall split and so you know how did yours do did your did your abs do fine yeah, I mean, I I still have them as good as they can be after surgery. Yeah, but they yeah. were the surgeons. See, the surgeons did a really good job, and they um, like they peeled away the muscle before they went in because I know they were they were they were very good about that. And so I think just because of all that had happened, it probably made having the kids that much easier. I don't know. They were only four pounds, seven ounces and four pounds, eight ounces. So I had like a normal baby size baby, but then I had two placentas. So go figure. (laughs) Wow. It's wild. Isn't it wild what our bodies can do? No, what it is. I can't do it. Not ours, Agatha. No, not us. Her. <laughs> you you win. Yeah, you win. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Okay, well, we're gonna we'll get this okay. organized. We're gonna schedule part two. Yeah, and answer the okay. answer my little questions in there. It shouldn't yeah. take you long at all. Especially and then, so we can put the CAF stuff yeah, out there. I think that would really be great. Cool. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. It truly was an honor. I'm so happy to see you. Yay! Bye, Jamie. Bye. Thank you for listening to We Are Multiple, the podcast. We hope you learned something. We hope you laugh. And please join us next time. It's always interesting. There's always something new. There's always something vital that you will want to know, not only during your pregnancy, but with your babies and beyond. And don't lose your shit. We got you. We are multiple. We are multiple. Have a good one.